0: personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ.
1: Hey, everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I'm your host of the Living a Better Story podcast. And today I've got a really, really cool guest. Sarah Riggs Amico is the uh, executive. She's been executive for years. She uh, runs a company that delivers 3.5 million cars around the, world, around the country and has 2,500 employees. And she also has a startup around uh, mission-based outreach. So I'm so excited to have Sarah on the call today. Uh, Sarah, thanks for joining.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: This will be a lot of fun. Um, you, you've obviously delivered a lot more cars than, than most people I know, I, although I did meet someone in New York recently who does leases of cars. So I should probably have put you in touch. I think his name is El Padron, and he's a really cool mission-based guy. So uh, there might be a connection there. Um, so to get to know you for our audience, what I, what I like to ask first is to rewind the tape and go back to when you're younger. Um, are you originally from Georgia? And what were some of your early passions when you were younger? Like, what are some of your first memories as a kid?
2: Yeah, I was actually born in St. Louis, Missouri. My folks grew up in St. Louis. And I moved to the southwest corner of Missouri down in the Ozarks at a small city called Joplin when I was five or six years old. So when I went into first grade, And some of my earliest memories, honestly, were playing softball. My dad was our softball coach for years. I started gymnastics when I was two years old and dance when I was three. Um, You know, honestly, I didn't watch much TV until after college. I was an athlete and we spent a lot of time together as a family. My mom had been a NICU nurse before she had kids. And when she had my two younger sisters and I, she left the profession to stay at home and take care of us. So I would say in a lot of ways, we had that suburban sort of idyllic middle income upbringing. Joplin was a small town, so you couldn't get away with much. (laughs) You couldn't get in trouble because your mom would know what you did before you got home. And um, we rode our bikes. Our neighborhood probably had two dozen kids who were my age in school so, we would ride around and hang out with the friends next door. and and at the same time, that's not to say it it wasn't an upbringing without struggle. Uh, I remember very vividly one of my earliest memories was we had moved to Joplin for my dad to take over uh, a business to run a business for a very wealthy family. And he, the reason he moved us all the way down there from St. Louis is that, he got to own 10% of the company and he did a phenomenal job of growing the business. He, he grew it so well that one of the sons in that wealthy family decided they wanted to run the business. So they fired my dad. And I remember being 11 years old, sitting in the park behind the McDonald's on main street in Joplin and my folks telling us, you know, your, your dad's lost his job, but we're going to be okay. And I could not possibly have imagined at that time, the way I do now with my own kids and my own mortgage, what it must've meant for my parents to have three kids, $200 in the bank and a single income family in Joplin, Missouri. And I know that much later in life, my folks told me just how tight it was. They told me about the friends that helped buy groceries that week. And I also know that out of that really difficult period, actually came my dad's first opportunity to own his own business. So I learned early the power of resilience and faith and family. And I think those are probably the earliest memories. The other thing I'll say, especially because my granddad passed away about a month ago, um, my dad's parents grew up, uh, I grew up largely back to back with them. So their house literally was the house behind ours and we had a connecting gate. So my sisters and I pretty much could go back and forth All the time. And I remember baking cakes and making waffles with my grandmother, who was very generous with the powdered sugar she put on top. (laughs) Uh, I remember talking about the Bible with my granddad. And as I got a little older, watching Murder She Wrote reruns with my grandma. And my mom's parents eventually moved to Joplin as well. And I remember every Friday night, uh, even in high school, when I wasn't cheering uh, or after the game, my Friends and I would go and play spades with my uncle and my mom's dad, my granddad on that side. So it was a great way to grow up. And and at the same time, you know, like I said, wasn't always without struggle, but uh, we learned a lot about the things that help you move through those times of struggle and sort of forward into where you want to go.
1: That's really neat. I just talked to someone last week on the podcast who had four generations living on the same street. So I think of the gate between your houses, talking with your grandmother. It seems to me a lot of the value of that two generations back is there's a, there's a thread of information that gets passed down of you know ethics and morals and faith and, and all those important things. And just seeing how, how your grandparents act. Right, and then you can see it in your parents, and then and then you bring that forward. So, what were some of those things that you know? From a, I know we talked before we launched today around some of the things that we can do in society today. Um, what were some of those things that you learned early on that now carry forward in what you're doing and trying to change the world?
2: Hard work, for sure. You know, my uh, two of my grandparents had worked as custodians at different times in their life. My Dad's dad worked for a while as the janitor in his elementary school. Uh, my mom's mom, uh, who was an absolute hoot, uh, she she died fairly young. Um, she had early onset Alzheimer's and breast cancer, but she was uh, she had a good rebellious streak. I like to think I got part of that from her. But she cleaned hotel rooms and hospital rooms really until the time that I was in high school, junior high, when, when she went more into the, the memory care center. And so I think respecting the dignity of work. Uh, my One of my grandfathers and my uncle had a trucking company for a while. My dad has worked in the automotive and trucking industries, you know, pretty much since I was in grade school. So I do think the dignity of work was always something we were taught to value. My mom's, or I'm sorry, my dad's mom, my grandma Riggs, who still lives down the street from us, by the way. So uh, she started work when she was six years old, picking cotton and retired about four months shy of her 80th birthday as an um, accounting and HR professional. So She went back to college in her 60s and studied accounting because she couldn't afford to go when she was younger. So I think the consistent thread was the dignity of working people, um, hard work ethic, and also a real sense of community and family and how we treat other people. And to this day, probably my favorite Bible story is the parable of the Good Samaritan right? For so many reasons, but uh, I think you talk a lot about faith on this podcast, so I feel comfortable um, Mm. speaking about it here uh, and and in many venues. Um, For me, it was this idea of how we care for other people, particularly in their times of need. Uh, I've volunteered since, gosh, junior high, maybe middle school, in whether it was shelters for people experiencing homelessness, uh, unhoused population, whether uh, my first internship in college was at a domestic violence shelter. When I went to business school at Harvard, I spent some time volunteering with veterans who are experiencing homelessness. So, and when I moved to New York as a young professional, uh, I stayed overnight in St. Bart's church, Episcopal church, and worked in their shelter um, and worked in their soup kitchen. So I think this commitment to community and service and, and also understanding that we never know what's on the other side of the interaction with a person, right? If, if somebody gives you anything less than kindness, that doesn't mean they're a bad person. It doesn't mean that they don't value you as a human. It may just mean that they had a really rough morning and you caught them at the wrong time. And I think we were always taught to be very cognizant of that. And to understand that the way we treat other people tells the world a lot more about what we value than anything we say.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. There's two charities we're supporting right now. One is um, foodfororphans.org. They've been around a long time, partner with some pretty big companies. And then another one called Daraja Academy in Kenya. They have 240 teenage girls. And in Kenya, girls are uh, kind of second choice for a family to go to school, right? They send the boy to school. So this, this organization really helps women in Kenya. Um, it's so rewarding to be part of and see that uh, there's an event coming up on September 12th that I'm heading to in Southern California about that. So um, really cool. That to, I, I totally agree with you. Um, we talked a little bit about challenges in, in life. And I really like to double click on that because we all face mountains that, you know, that we have to get over. And then looking back, that helps us become the person that we are later in life. Is there a mountain you're comfortable sharing where it was like, oh, at the time it was the worst thing that could have ever happened. And yet it's now okay, right? That you got beyond it.
2: You know, there are some things that are just hard um, that you have to take with as much grace and reflection as you can. So when I was in college, my best friend in childhood, you know, for many years, almost like my second mom, her mom passed away very suddenly um, from very aggressive breast cancer. She was 42 years old and that's my age now. So I think in particular this year, I'm reflecting a lot on making the most of the time that we have, you know, what do you want to do with this time and space that you're given in this life and on this planet and in your community? And, that doesn't always mean you have to do these big, you know, Nobel prize winning things, although those are extraordinary, but sometimes it's the ordinary moments that I think we undervalue, particularly in the social media era. So for me, I taught my kids to ride a bike last week and believe it or not, they're eight and 10. I hadn't done that yet. So for a kid who grew up riding her bike all over, uh, hmm. that was miss for me as a mom. But by far, when I look back at the end of my life, one of the best days as a parent will be August 10th of 2021. When I got both kids up and riding on their bikes in the same, you know, hour period or so and watching them go from timid and hesitant to confident. And now I'm running after them, trying to keep up riding all over the neighborhood, um, was a joy. I mean the kind of unfettered, not happiness, not contentedness, but joy um, deep in our soul that you only get to feel so many times. And so I think I I'm reflecting a lot these days on on that. I'm I'm also reflecting on some of the challenges that I've had in my professional life. So Uh, People are always surprised to hear, I think, partly because I look really young and partly because I am young-ish, although my kids think I rode dinosaurs as a child. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, I've been an executive for 18 years. Uh, I started um, in media working my way out of a mailroom in Manhattan at the William Morris Agency. I have done all manner of jobs as an assistant, worked my way up there for almost a decade in media, up to being a department head and a head of strategic planning for a major media agency. And then I, I moved into working as a professional board member and doing mergers and acquisitions, capital markets work in our family business and logistics. And for me, and we do turnaround management. So it's never the same job, you know, more than a a few months at a time, but it's very difficult work. You're taking companies that other people have given up on and you're trying to resuscitate them. And for us, because we center our values around the dignity of working people, um, because we're very proud to have a union company, um, we're very proud to pay for healthcare, 100% of the insurance premiums for our employees and their families. Um, we work differently. So we can't do the kind of turn around work that you see in, you know, movies or corporate raiders, or you read about, it's, it's not Chainsaw Al for those of your listeners who remember who that is. Um, this is about investing in people and their well-being, in the kind of environment you create for them to work in and trusting that if you do that and all the blocking and tackling on the business, you can turn these things around not by cutting to the bone, but by investing in the well-being of the body as a whole, right? And so it's difficult work, and it hasn't been without its, you know, lumps. We took our company through a pre-arranged restructuring and a bankruptcy in November of 2019 over a pension issue with our union to try to save 3,000 jobs and all of the pensions and the union seniority and all of that healthcare I talked about, and we did. But in order to get that job done. Um, my family had to give up the equity that we had invested in the business for more than a decade. And we were very proud to put our money where our mouth is. We've talked a long time about how you treat the people who make your business possible and why that matters. And it was, it was as though the universe gave us a chance to show that we meant it. And, you know, it was difficult. It was difficult to watch everything we've built, um, for more than a decade, uh, go away. But we were very fortunate that we were actually able to buy our business back. And because of that restructuring that we undertook in 2019, the company was in a position to survive the COVID pandemic, where our customers, the automakers like General Motors and Ford were shut down for a record four months in 2020. And right after they came back online, they've been beaten about the head and shoulders by the semiconductor chip shortage. And so, you know, it it really does feel like because we did the right thing in 2019 to save the business, to save the jobs, to save the pensions and healthcare in our union, um, that we were able to survive the last year and a half of this sort of groundhog day hell loop, for lack of a better expression, yeah. of yeah. the pandemic. So, you know, I guess my my view has always been that failure isn't fatal, and that challenge isn't. Um, something to be avoided, but embraced as the refiner's fire, right? That this is the place where we get distilled down into the things that we value most. And I I think it's very easy to be a good winner, right? It's very easy to do the right thing when everything is going your way. You can tell a lot more about a person's character when the chips are down or when the stuff hits the fan and you see how they behave then. And again, you know, I'm still early in my career, even though it's been almost two decades now. And I'd like to think I'll look back and when stuff got tough, when hard decisions had to be made about whether or not we actually value people and community the way we say we do, uh, that we made the right choices, even when it wasn't easy or obvious or the most profitable path forward, um, we did the right things. And that's, that's a lot more of a legacy than earnings per share. And for what it's worth, I think increasingly you can do both at the same time. Yeah, right. right.
1: One le- one sometimes leads to the other if you start That's with the right, right one in, in front. There's a That's there's great. a Bible verse that I found recently, and someone told this to me on the podcast, and it's Malachi 310. It says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And I used to think of tithe as 10% to my church. Well, I've now discovered time, talent, treasures, which means time, right? It's not just money, but it's time, talent, like what we're doing in your day and that there may be food in my house. Like you're giving 3000 people food and everything that you did. And it says in this one translation, it says, test me on this. I've talked to a few people. They're like, no, no, God doesn't ask you to test him. He says, prove me, prove, prove that this is true. Um, And it says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. And I think that's what you're sharing with our audience that you experience that, right? A, a potentially business crushing blow of 10 years of investment. It's like, no, no, I'm going to give all my equity in return for doing the right thing. And, and when, you, when you do the right thing, when no one's looking, that's when, that's when God opens up the floodgates of heaven.
2: That's certainly been my experience. And I want to be clear because you're going to have people listening to this who are in the middle of the storm right now, who mm-hmm. are in the bankruptcy process who are out of a job, who don't know how they're gonna pay their rent or buy food for their family, this doesn't make it easier for you. It is a painful, difficult, soul-searching process. And for those of us who feel a responsibility, whether that's to your family, to your parents, to your kids, to your community, or to your employees, um, it is a difficult thing to feel like you can't meet that obligation for whatever reason, even if it has nothing to do with anything you did. And so for the people out there who are experiencing that, I don't wanna tell you it's easy. I don't wanna belittle what you're feeling. I know how hard it is. I just want you to know that on the other side of this, there's an opportunity that more will come to you. if it, That people in your community will step forward and help you that you will be surrounded by the kind of friends that we all hope will move through life with and that the love your family feels for you. And because of that struggle through this time, it will be deepened and it will be apparent in ways that will bless you even when times are tough. And, you know, we don't take anything for granted. Uh, I got to go back to the company about six months after we bought it back and after a pretty tough battle with COVID for me and my family last summer. And I can tell you, I I know how lucky I am to have a job. I know how lucky I am to go back and to have a chance to provide a means for other people to provide for their family. And that's kind of the touchstone for me. So if it comes down to something that's, can I eke out a few more cents of profit over here or can I do the right thing for these people who make it all possible, it's a really easy choice. And if I'm being terribly honest, it, it wasn't as difficult as you might imagine, even in the restructuring, um, knowing that you're doing the right thing comes with a different kind of piece.
1: I worked for FedEx right out of college and um, flew to Memphis. Fred Smith talked to our class back in those days. So there was like 25 or 30 of us. And it was interesting. He said, I don't work for FedEx. I work for FedEx five years from now. So that was a lesson on leadership, right? It's, you got to think ahead. Um, but I remember it was such an interesting, you've been in the transportation business um, and it turns out now, I think one of his daughters lives in my neighborhood here in Colorado. So quite a, quite a small world, but um, he always, he wrote the book that says people, service, profit and putting people first. And I remember that. And he very much led by that to the point where when you do the right thing, one time his company was going close to bankruptcy and there's, there's rumors. Did he go and gamble the money in Vegas to pay the employees or how did he do it? But the fit, I've met some of those employees who kept the check and, un, and didn't cash it ever. And they framed it because he went to the employees and said, hey, I value you. I value this company. We're really tight on payroll. If you wouldn't mind, just don't cash this check. Anyone who has the ability to do that. So he actually kind of played it the other way. And so many employees are like, hey, we get it. This is people service profit, do the right thing. And some of those people still have an uncashed check, which is kind of a neat thing.
2: Yeah, we cleared payroll during the Great Recession because remember, we moved cars. So um, we had General Motors and Chrysler both went through bankruptcies during the Great Recession. It's very easy to forget that now. Uh, It was very, very easy to remember it at the time because it was all over the news. But um, we cleared payroll one week. I mean, it couldn't have been for by more than eight or $10,000 for 1500 employees, I think at the time. And I think we did it by switching banks and they didn't have direct deposits. So there was extra float on the checks. I mean, we've been there, like there, there were some tough times. And that was a month after we bought Jack Cooper. Our first business was actually much smaller. It was about 120 employees in 2008 and that's now grown to you know almost 2500 employees but it sure wasn't a straight line and nor was it a glamorous sort of take on what being an executive is it, it's a you know everyday creativity and compassion and thinking about how we solve whatever problem that is in front of you whether that's the great recession the covid shutdowns that we've had in our industry protecting our employees in that environment or, um, you know, how you're going to support the healthcare needs of your employees as healthcare costs were skyrocketing during the Great Recession, right? During that period is when we decided instead of cutting back on healthcare, we were actually going to pay for 100% of it. So being countercultural sometimes um, and, and having some of that, I guess those would be sort of my three C's of, of management. Well,
1: that's the rebel from your grandmother, it sounds like in you.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I think for me, it's, it's, it's been a great journey. I mean, it's certainly not over, right? I have a, a vision we're in the middle of, of sort of putting together right now and we'll be announcing soon, but I don't mind sharing with you. Um, we're going to make our company carbon neutral, 93 year old trucking company, and we will be net zero emissions, Um, hopefully by the end of this decade. And by the 100th anniversary of our company in 2028, I'm gonna have over half of my class eight fleet, class eight big rig semi trucks. We have about 1400 of those on the road daily. We're gonna have over half of those be zero emission, whether that's fuel cell, renewable natural gas, or uh, electric class eight trucks by 2028. So, doing good and doing well go hand in hand more often than people think. And and that's the kind of legacy that you can leave when you're willing to look at the whole picture in in the community and the stakeholders that are part of your business.
1: My son goes to School of Mines in Colorado, it's in Golden, and they just announced, I think, seven or eight buses that are no driver, no steering wheel and they're out there on the road taking people around right now and it just it just launched recently And he's so excited. He's like, dad, I'm going on that bus as soon as I get back to college.
2: It's cool technology. You know, I run a Teamster company, so I don't envision a day, at least in my lifetime, where we will ever replace a driver in our trucks. Think of it more like the airlines where the planes can fly themselves effectively. But I still want that pilot in the cockpit.
1: Well, and they have students apparently who probably have a kill switch on the bus while they're driving. So, uh, you know, to to monitor everything. Oh, it's wild. Yeah, yeah
2: I'm excited. True. I think that we're heading into, you know, it's been a really turbulent period, not just in our country, but in the world. But I hope that this will also produce the kind of innovation that we've seen in previous generations when you've had these difficult economic periods or geopolitical periods. And, and for me, you know, I had the chance to run for office in 2018 as the uh, a nominee for lieutenant governor here in Georgia. And I got to travel through over the last several years, 154, I think now of the 159 counties in our state, and just met people from every walk of life. And it renews your faith in everything, right? People, humanity, democracy, God, um, there are so many good people doing the right things for the right reasons in every nook and cranny of this country. Mm -hmm. And, And at the same time, there are real and often structural barriers to opportunity that I think are finally now being excavated and addressed. So it, it really is a sort of critical tipping point in our culture, in our country, in our really in human history. We have all of these technologies now. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? Like, what kind of world are we going to build and leave to our kids? And so I've been very excited about what we're doing on the business side. And as you mentioned earlier, I ended up starting a media company last year chronicling some of these people doing all the right things. And in some cases, small businesses just trying to survive in the pandemic. So these are sort of what I would think of as American dream stories, whether they are small business owners or entrepreneurs, whether they are immigrants and their story of how their family came to be here and why, um, you know, whether that was 10 generations ago or 10 days ago. And what we call community builders, so the people that are on the front lines of trying to build community and eliminate barriers to the American dream. So we interviewed people like Eric Cooper, the CEO at the San Antonio Food Bank that had 10,000 cars show up in a single day last year at the height of uh, the first wave of the pandemic. And so we've collected over 400 interviews in the last several months, sort of examining what is the what, is it, what does the American dream even mean? Uh, how do we make sure it's accessible to everyone who's here? And, and how do we move forward at this really pivotal moment in not just our country, but really human history and take all of those skills, everything we've learned, all the technology that's being developed and move forward in a way that builds prosperity, equity and opportunity for everyone. So to me, it's an exciting, if, if challenging time to be a professional.
1: Well, that's really great. I've enjoyed our conversation today. Um, You know, I agree. I've had about 70 or 80 interviews on this podcast, and it doesn't matter where you're from, what your roots are. Like everybody wants to do the best thing for the country, the world, their families. Um, I think relationship with God has gotten stronger over the last couple of years as a result of some of this. Um, I just attended this, I met the founder of Southeastern Food Bank in Orlando last week. And he, uh, he's the number four in, this, in the state and he's looking to expand internationally. And so I said, look, I, I'm here. He, and he said he works for God, which I've only met two people in the, 80, in the podcast who work for God. And I'm like, I need to talk to those people live because that's a pretty cool thing to be able to say. And if we all could move our employer to God Inc., well, how amazing could the world become if we followed the, the guidance of, uh, you know, of what's been written in the Bible, like with Jesus, he led the way. Have you seen The Chosen, uh, by the way?
2: I haven't. I haven't. Oh um, with two kids, a pandemic, and two statewide campaigns in the last few years, uh, not to you've been a little. It's it's companies. so good. I mean the <laughs>
1: the the way they articulate the stories, and my favorite part is in the credits. My wife, when I sit next to my wife, we're watching the show, and they play. It shows all these gray fish going around in a circle, and then just like the rebel that you have in you, all of a sudden one flips to blue, and then another one, and then by the end of it, it's thirteen blue fish, and you're like okay, my job is to turn gray fish blue is what I feel like my calling is now as a result of watching that show.
2: Well, it's been, um, it's been definitely a time for a pretty deep spiritual reflection. I think, Um, you know, the, the pandemic, you and I were talking earlier before we started recording um, healthcare really kind of became an issue for me in the last decade um, where my whole heart is passionate. My favorite Bible story by far is the Good Samaritan, and, and how, and it's such a tangible way to care for one another, right? My mom was a NICU nurse, my grandmother cleaned hospital rooms. And I think the pandemic has really distilled for me this need to, to care for people and meet those needs in, in a really tangible, meaningful, selfless way. And it's probably one of the biggest. Takeaways I had from traveling around the state and really around the country for the last five years: um, there are so many people still in this country who are sick because they're poor, or poor because they got sick. And if, for those of us who have put faith as as our guiding um, principle, set of principles, if you are listening to Christ, you remember the whole Good Samaritan story. People forget why did he tell the parable, right? He told it in response to someone asking him, you know, how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? If that's the pathway to eternity with God is loving your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? And in response, Christ tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? These two men who don't share a faith, honestly, whose societies wouldn't even have talked to each other back in that day. Um, Nevertheless, seeing common humanity in one another and and caring for somebody in their time of need. And I think if we have a silver lining coming out of the pandemic, I hope it's that people internalized that lesson on everything from the grace we give to a working mom or caregiver who's struggling to healthcare needs and rights for people um, to issues like food security that, that we have the ability to address um, and now we just need to find sort of political will to do the same thing. So um, for me, I, that faith has permeated everything. And, and I hope that my kids see that example rather than hearing me say it. I hope they see it. And that when it's their turn, they pick up the torch and, and move that forward as well.
1: That's right. Well, Sarah, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for coming on the Living Better Story podcast. If people want to get involved with your mission based startup or maybe tell their story, um, how would they get in touch with you?
2: Oh, thanks so much for asking. So the company is called Rediscovering Our American Dream. Uh, you can find us at ouramericandreams.org. Uh, we have a public platform where you can upload using your smartphone or your laptop up to four minutes telling your own story about what the American Dream means to you. And we would love for you to join us. We'll be rolling out publicly the platform. It's already live and you can find it at ouramericandreams.org, but we'll be pushing and launching that platform publicly uh, after September, the early October. So we would love for you to participate. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Rediscover O-A-D, as in Our American Dreams. But yes, please come and upload your story. And I'm at Sarah Rigzamico on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, DM me if you want to know more, if there's anything I can tell you about how you can get involved in organizing folks to tell their story in your community. It's a great opportunity um, to create conversation in a space that's not polarized, uh, that's not hateful. <laughs> These are productive, common goal, common ground conversations that I think can really help us rejuvenate some of those conversations that haven't been happening in our community as our political climate has become really polarized.
1: Yeah, we need we need more of what you're doing. Uh, My kids are both just in college and said, when's the third party going to come out? And I think that's maybe what you're starting to lead the tip of the spear. It'd be really nice if third party came to came to town someday. And I think this is the climate we could probably do that <laughs> in.
2: <laughs> I, you know, I'm not sure, but I know that conversation is something that, uh, as you know, growing up as a Midwesterner and living in the South, we are front porch sitting, lemonade and sweet tea drinking storytellers. And, and I think every good thing that can come in this society. Honestly, in this life, starts with that human connection, and remembering that even when we don't see the world the same way, um, we can find some things that we can still converse about, be productive together on, and and hopefully, you know, again, build a legacy our kids can be proud of. They, parenthood changes everything, right? For me, it's it's recentered that idea that getting it right isn't a matter of whether or not I'm right. It's, it's a matter of whether or not we're doing the
1: right thing for the next generation. 100%. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Sarah. And uh, we'll catch everybody on the next Living a Better Story podcast. Thanks for having
2: me, guys. Thank
0: you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, Remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ.